Hi, I'm Art Walensky, the Messianic Jewish Expositor. Welcome to today's program. I'd like to talk with you today about peace and security. Did you know that every normal person wants peace and security? Our own Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, talked about it a few months ago at the United Nations in New York City. I'm going to read to you what he said. He's speaking to the president of the Security Council of the United Nations. Mr. President, this council was convened today to discuss the implementation of the Minsk Agreements, a goal that we all share despite Russia's persistent violations. These agreements, which were negotiated in 2014 and 2015 and signed by Russia, remain the basis for the peace process to resolve the conflict in eastern Ukraine. This council's primary responsibility, the very reason for its creation, is the preservation of peace and security. As we meet today, the most immediate threat to peace and security is Russia's looming aggression against Ukraine. The stakes go far beyond Ukraine. This is a moment of peril for the lives and safety of millions of people as well as for the foundation of the United Nations Charter and the rules-based international order that preserves stability worldwide. This crisis directly affects every member of this council and every country in the world. Because the basic principles that sustain peace and security principles that were enshrined in the wake of two world wars and a cold war are under threat. The principle that one country cannot change the borders of another by force. The principle that one country cannot dictate another's choices or policies or with whom it will associate. The principle of national sovereignty. This is the exact kind of crisis that the United Nations, and specifically this Security Council, was created to prevent. Now, folks, Mr. Blinken gave this speech on February 17th of this year, 2022. One week later, Russia invaded Ukraine. Everybody wants peace and security, but it's very difficult to get, and it's very difficult to maintain. In the near future, on the near horizon, it will be even more difficult. In fact, it's going to become impossible. So why am I telling you this today? I'm telling you this because there is something that you can do about it. And I'm not talking about voting for a better candidate in the next election. I'm going to tell you about something that you can do personally. And this something that you can do is guaranteed to work. Are you interested? If you are, 
there are a few things that you need to know. These things are in the Bible, and you need to know them. The Bible talks about peace and security. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Thessalonian church in the New Testament. That's where the letter is. Let me read it to you. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 to 4, in case verses 1 to 4, in case you feel like following along. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. Now, just what is the Apostle Paul talking about here? He's talking about a time known as the day of the Lord, and he is saying it will come like a thief in the night. What does he mean? Now, in the context of this letter, the day of the Lord is the tribulation period, which the Bible tells us will last seven years. I'm not talking about tribulation with a small t, which is always with us. We've always had that. In fact, there's a word for that in Yiddish. The word is tsuris. It means aggravation or trouble. We've always had tsuris, and we'll continue to have it as long as we're on this earth. Sometimes it's little tsuris. You have a headache or you've misplaced your driver's license. Sometimes it's big tsuris, like the war in Ukraine or the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, or 9-11-2001, which precipitated those wars, when the World Trade Center buildings in New York were destroyed, and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. was attacked, and thousands of people were killed. There's no question but that those things represent tribulation, big tribulation, but they are not the tribulation, with a capital T, which is also known as the day of the Lord. You see, the things that will happen in the day of the Lord will be of a different order of magnitude entirely than even big tribulation, with a small t. But interestingly, that day, the day of the Lord, the tribulation, with a capital T, will begin with peace and security. The violent and catastrophic nature of the tribulation, the destruction, won't be apparent initially. That part will come 
as a thief in the night, as a surprise, a surprise that you and I don't want. So initially, peace and security, but it won't last. It never does in this world. Anthony Blinken knows that. Yes, peace and security will inaugurate the tribulation, the tribulation, also known as the day of the Lord. How does that happen? I'll explain. I'm going to read two more Bible verses to you from the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. The Lamb is the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in heaven where he's holding the seven-sealed scroll, which is the title deed to this earth that we live on. You see, he's getting ready to take back the earth, to take it back from the hand of the enemy, the devil, Satan, who stole it from Adam in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve broke the one commandment they were given by God which was to completely avoid the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Unfortunately, not only did our first parents not avoid that tree, but they went ahead and ate of its fruit. And God had to banish them from the garden because of their disobedience. Did you know that Adam and Eve fell from grace then? and lost the dominion of this world, the dominion given to them by God. That's why this catastrophe is known as the fall. This catastrophe is why the world is the mess it's in today. This catastrophe is why there is death in the world. It is why we don't live forever. Well, the Lamb, Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah, is going to finish undoing the curse of the fall and reclaim this earth for us by breaking open the seven-sealed scroll. Each time he breaks open a seal, a divine program of judgment is launched upon our earth. Each seal contains judgments which are progressively more severe. This first seal launches a false peace, represented by the first of four horses and their riders, the white horse and its rider. Note that this white horse has a rider who carries a bow but no arrows, sort of like someone carrying a gun with no bullets. Perhaps it's like a subtle threat of what might be coming. Watch out, or I'll have arrows next time. Or watch out, or the gun will soon be loaded. Whichever it is, 
It's unnatural. Who carries a bow with no arrows? I don't think this is someone I would trust or be at ease with. Nevertheless, a crown is given to this rider. The Greek word for this crown is Stephanos, which is a crown of honor, such as might be awarded to the victor in a contest. It is not a royal crown or diadem, which would represent a true sovereign or king. This rider and horse go out to conquer or prevail. But without arrows, at this point, the prevailing or conquering will be bloodless. This rider on the white horse represents the Antichrist, the ultimate false messiah. He will be crowned by the people of this world as their leader and prince. And the people will proclaim peace and security. But sudden destruction will come like the birth pangs of a woman about to give birth, and they will not escape. What won't they escape? Let's read on in the book of Revelation, and we will see. Continuing on in chapter 6, I am now reading, going to read verses 3 and 4. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that people would kill one another, and a large sword was given to him. So now the second seal is broken open, and another part of God's judgment program is unleashed. And now we see that peace and security are gone. Now there is a weapon, a large sword. That is not harmless. It can definitely cause destruction. Like a thief in the night, violence and death have come. The fullness of the day of the Lord has begun to blossom. The people experiencing this horror will be surprised as by a thief in the night, and the progressive worsening of the judgments are like the progressively worsening birth pangs of a woman in labor. But I want to call your attention to something else that the Apostle Paul wrote that has relevance for this future period of time. And it has relevance for us, because I believe this time is getting close. We're back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, reading verse 4 again. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that the day would overtake you like a thief. What does this mean? Who are these brothers and sisters that this day of the Lord, this day, will not overtake like a thief? You might ask, how can I be one of those brothers and sisters? 
I'm going to tell you, my dear listener, how you can avoid being overtaken by this red horse and its rider, and by the white horse and its rider also. Because not only do you want to avoid war, but you want to avoid war on an order of magnitude greater than the world has ever seen. Because that comes in later, after the red horse. And please make no mistake, you want to avoid the false peace and security, which sets the stage for the horrific destruction that follows. That starts later, during this seven-year day of the Lord, the horrific destruction. It begins after the midpoint of this seven-year period. In other words, at three and a half years, when something called the abomination of desolation occurs. Now, please take note of this. If you avoid the red horse and the white horse that comes before it, then you will also avoid everything else that comes after these two horses and horsemen in the day of the Lord. And believe me, you want to avoid all this. Now, in case I haven't mentioned it so far, the day of the Lord judgments are from the Lord, from God himself. That's why it's called the day of the Lord. And that's not my term for this seven-year period. It's God who calls it that. This is the day when he, God, unleashes judgment on those who are not his, who do not belong to him. You do not want to be one who does not belong to God, and you can avoid that. I'll tell you how soon, but before I do, I need to explain a few more things to you. How do I know that this tribulation period, this day of the Lord, is seven years long? And how do I know that the abomination of desolation is in the very middle of it? And how do I know that the part of the day of the Lord that follows it is going to be filled with judgments that are of an order of magnitude worse than anything seen in the world before or after it. By the way, this time will be particularly bad for Jewish people. It will be a second Holocaust, and it will be worse than the first one, worse than Hitler's Holocaust. The prophet Jeremiah called it the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is another name for Israel. But how do I know that this part of the day of the Lord is going to be filled with judgments that are of an order of magnitude worse than anything seen in the world before or after it? I know this because Yeshua, Jesus, talked about it. Let me read to you what he said about it. In the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 15 to 21. Therefore, Jesus is speaking now. Therefore, 
when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things out of his house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those women who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Moreover, pray that when you flee, it will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. Please note that Jesus just referred to this period of time as a great tribulation. That's the second half of the seven-year tribulation. And it's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be awful. My dear listeners, did it not just sound to you as if Yeshua was talking to Jewish people in this passage in Matthew? Of course, it absolutely does. He even refers to Daniel, who was Jewish. He is definitely talking to Jewish people. Yes, he is talking to his disciples in Jerusalem several days before his crucifixion. But his ultimate message is for Jewish people living in the future, because what he is talking about still has not occurred. It's future to this time that we are living in now. Now, what is this abomination of desolation? You might be surprised to learn, my Jewish friends, that it has much to do with our holiday of Hanukkah, when Antiochus Epiphanes attempted to destroy the Jewish temple and the Jewish religion by transforming the Jewish temple into a pagan one. This was an abomination, as stated in 1 Maccabees, an extra-biblical Jewish book that is of great historical value. Let me read a verse from it, from 1 Maccabees, chapter 1, verse 54. Now, on the 15th day of Kislev, in the 145th year, they erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. They also built altars in the surrounding towns of Judah. Now, this verse is talking about the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and what happened there. Antiochus Epiphanes erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. They erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. Now, they refers to Antiochus Epiphanes and his minions. 
This occurred in 165 BC, and it led to an uprising by Judah Maccabee and his brothers. They defeated Antiochus Epiphanes and his army and rededicated the temple, cleansing it of the abomination, the desolating sacrilege that had been committed on the altar. As you know, tradition holds that the oil for the temple's eternal light that should have been enough for only one day lasted for eight days. And this is celebrated as the Festival of Lights, which is Hanukkah. And of course, we still celebrate that today. But this abomination of desolation shows up even earlier in our Bibles, in the Hebrew scriptures that Daniel writes about. In fact, it's mentioned three times in his book. Let me read you one of those three. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, we will find it. Let me read, please. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Now, this is pure prophecy. It's future to the time of writing of Daniel when he wrote his book. Daniel wrote this approximately 500 years before the time of our Messiah. In other words, 500 BC. But Daniel is clearly referring to the time known as the 70th week or the 70th seven. Now, what is that? What is Daniel's 70th week or 70th seven? I think that maybe I'd better explain that to you. When Daniel was a very young man, God exiled the Jewish people to Babylon for 70 years because of failure to obey God's law. The prophet Jeremiah wrote about this in his book, the book of Jeremiah that we have in our Bibles today. In Babylon, the prophet Daniel was reading the writings of Jeremiah, and Daniel saw that the 70 years of exile ordained by the Lord for Judah would be over soon. Daniel then prayed to the Lord, confessing his sins and the sins of his people, and asked that God, in his mercy, would indeed return to his return his people to the land soon to Israel. The Lord then sent the angel Gabriel to talk with Daniel. Now I'm going to read you some more verses from Daniel, and I've edited them a little bit because I think it will make it easier for you to understand them. Daniel chapter 9 verse 22. And he, Gabriel, instructed me and said, Daniel, I have come now to give you insight with understanding from the Lord. 
about the 70 years. Now I'm reading, about to read, verses 24 to 27. Again, I have edited these slightly. Verse 24 and following. Daniel, it is not 70 years, but 77s of years, or 70 times 70 years, for a total of 490 years that are decreed for your people, the Jewish people, and your holy city, Jerusalem, to bring about complete redemption and restoration, which will occur only when the messianic or millennial kingdom is set up by the anointed one, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, on his return. Only when these 77s of years, 490 years, are complete, will these six things be finished for the Jewish people. The end of rebellion, that's the first. The end of sin, the second. Atonement for iniquity, the third. Everlasting righteousness, the fourth. The completion of vision and prophecy, the fifth. And the anointing of the Holy of Holies in the Millennial Temple, which, by the way, is the fourth temple, the sixth. Daniel, know and understand the timing of all this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that will be given by King Artaxerxes of Persia in 445 BC until the anointed one, the Messiah, comes, his first coming, will be 49 years plus 434 years. After the first 49 years, seven sevens, the rebuilding of Jerusalem will be finished. After 434 more years, 62 sevens, For a total of 483 years, the Anointed One, the Messiah, will be crucified. Forty years later, in 70 AD, the armies of the Roman Empire will come and destroy Jerusalem and the Temple. Then many intervening centuries will occur with wars and miseries. The Jewish people will eventually return to their land, Israel. Sometime after that, the Antichrist, who will come from the reconstituted Roman Empire, will be revealed and will rise to power. He will make a firm covenant with the Jewish people for seven years. This will be the 70th seven the final seven years of the 490 years, also known as the tribulation and also referred to as the day of the Lord. However, exactly halfway through this final seven years, the Antichrist will break his covenant and will interrupt the sacrifices and offerings that will be going on at the rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem. That's the third temple, folks. He, the Antichrist, 
will commit the abomination of desolation in the temple, spoken about by Yeshua, the Messiah, in the book of Matthew, until he, the Antichrist, is destroyed by the Messiah when he returns. That's the second coming at the end of this final period of 70 years. Now, folks, the first 69 seven-year periods have already occurred, but the events of the 70th seven-year period have not occurred yet. The 70th seven is yet future. In other words, there is a gap between the 69th and 70th seven-year periods. And as of this year, 2022, that gap is approximately 2,000 years long. Now, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel foreshadows the abomination of desolation that the Maccabees had to deal with. And in many ways, that abomination of desolation is similar to the one prophesied in Daniel, but it is not the same. The abomination of desolation prophesied by Daniel is committed by the Antichrist, the ultimate Antichrist, who will come at the end of this age when the tribulation will be in full swing. This counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, who was also called the beast in the book of Revelation, will at that time have with him another counterfeit person set up by or empowered by Satan, an individual referred to in the book of Revelation as the false prophet, also called the second beast. And this second beast or false prophet is a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. This second beast will set up an image of the first beast, the Antichrist, the counterfeit Messiah or Christ, to be worshipped. Let me read that again. This second beast will set up an image of the first beast, the Antichrist, to be worshipped. Let's read from Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 to 16. And it was given to him, the false prophet, folks, to give breath to the image of the beast. That's the Antichrist. So that the image of the beast would even speak and cause all who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Verse 16. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. Now, folks, these events were never enacted by Antiochus Epiphanes, bad as he was, and he was very, very bad indeed. He was not in the same league as Satan, the father of the Antichrist and the false prophet. He never had an associate who set up an image of himself to be worshipped in the temple, and he never inaugurated 
the mark of the beast to be given on the right hand or on the forehead. Perhaps you've heard of the mark of the beast. If you enter the day of the Lord, you'll have to take the mark of the beast or suffer execution. You don't want that. But listen, my friends. We started out talking about peace and security. You and I want true peace and security, not peace and security followed by the day of the Lord coming upon us like a thief in the night. You and I do not want to go through the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, the day of the Lord. We do not want to experience the abomination of desolation. We don't want to have to take the mark of the beast. So what do we do? What do you do? Each one of you, what do you do? My dear listener, you must become a child of God. You must become his. You must be born again. Then you will be saved from this wrath that is going to come, and you will have eternal life my friend. How? How are you going to be saved from this wrath to come? From the tribulation. How? Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, is going to come for you. Let me read from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Now, chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the blast of God's shofar. And the dead in Messiah shall rise first. They will be resurrected. Then we who are alive, who are left behind, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. My friends, this is what is known as the rapture. Don't you want to be part of it? You'll be in heaven when the tribulation comes. Do you want this? How can you not want this? Please, just pray a prayer, something like this one. Please, do it now. Lord Yeshua, and folks, I've addressed this talk primarily to Jewish people, but my dear, beloved Gentile friends, this is for you as well. It applies to you. Please, do the same. Pray this prayer. Lord Yeshua, Jesus, my Messiah, I'm sorry for all the many sins that I've committed in my life. I've lied. I've thought evil thoughts. I've dishonored my father and my mother. I've wanted to have things that are not mine. I've coveted. And I've committed many other sins too. Please forgive me. Yeshua, I know that you died on the cross to pay the debt for all my sins. 
I accept that you did that for me. I want to be in heaven with you for eternity. Please save me now. Thank you, Lord Yeshua, Lord Jesus. Amen. My friend, if you prayed this prayer today, please let me know. You can write to me at drwalinski at comcast.net. Thank you, and God bless you.